0: And look, I know that it's been a while since I've been on, um, but rest assured, uh, we've certainly been working hard to bring you some pretty amazing guests from around the territory. We've had people like Adam Hayes, we've had Tony Rudd, the chiropractor, we've had young uh, Troy Sheehan that's, you know, uh, started a business in Darwin and is now, you know, trying to take it Australia-wide. But um, today, today I'm particularly excited because... I don't know how, but this gentleman I believe has become a friend of mine, and he lets me, you know, annoy him or come to the stu- come to his office. Um, obviously, I've got a call, and but uh, look, he is one of the nicest people. He's genuine, and uh, I believe we're going to talk a little bit today about him being a past DJ, uh, maybe in radio as well. I believe in marketing, but I'll ask him about that. Uh, and uh, involved in a satellite company and um, you guys may know him as the CEO of the REINT I call him a dear friend mr. Quinton Killian how are you today sir good
1: morning young mr. Kafkas
0: thank you for uh, giving me this time um, <laughs> no, all right. yeah normally you know I talk in um, you know 10 minutes but I'm hoping I can get 20 minutes out of you today
1: depends on on how nice you are to me <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right let's uh, get started where, where
1: were you born? I was actually born in a little town called Gummaracca up in the Adelaide Hills. Um, and I grew up in Adelaide until I was about seven years old. And then my dad was a high school teacher at the time. He was a woodwork teacher and he, uh, like all other uh, public servants in those days, got a three-year contract to come to Darwin.
0: Um,
1: okay. So that was in 1968 uh, and we moved up to Darwin for a three-year term and just never left oh well, there you go um, yeah yeah we moved into a little place in meigs Crescent, number 19 meigs Crescent. if anybody's driving by uh it doesn't look the same now because it, it got wiped out during the cyclone yeah. but um yeah. uh, that was where i grew up and uh,
0: could you see the beach <laughs> from from that street
1: no but what we could actually see not from the street but very close by was diner beach yeah. um and Dinah Beach was not a beach back then. It was, it was um, mud and, and uh, mangroves and, and you could hear the crocodiles bark in the night. Oh, wow. um, so the big old crocodiles would actually bark and yeah. you could hear them echo. Um, no, I think probably the, the biggest thing we could see was the big park. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we used to have a, a, a giant sized big old mahogany tree there. And one day a lightning strike hit it and it actually shattered windows. It was that big it oh, shattered okay. windows within close proximity and the kids being kids we all rushed across afterwards and the tree had split open and there was a fried frog in it. Oh, big oh. green tree frog had got fried from the that was the greatest thing for the kids was this fried frog. That oh, was wonderful. Wow. So
0: I've seen it in the movies where you see the lightning strike <laughs> yeah. come in and just split the tree in half and, and you it did, to did fly exactly fly. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, there you go. All right, and um now correct me if i'm wrong but did you spend some time living in hong kong as well
1: i did well look you know after after all of my schooling here at, at stuart park primary and kasserina high um, I, I went off to follow a career which i'm sure we'll come back to yeah, good, yeah. um but yes in 1991 it was um I ended up marrying uh, my, my second wife, uh, who's still my current wife, but we'll work on that. Um, and she being from Hong Kong, yeah. we had the opportunity to, um, uh, to get what's called a dependent visa. Okay. And at that time, Hong Kong was still under British rule. Uh, so the British bureaucrats uh, okay. were in charge of the place. <clears throat> we put the visa application in. It took the best part of six months for them to process it. When it came back, you only had three months to use it or lose it.
0: So six months to wait to get it and three months to use it. Yep. Sounds fair. And if
1: you didn't use it, you'd lose it um, so that the visa would run out. So we sat down one night. At that point, we had no children. Um, It was just the wife and I. Um, I was in a very good job. I was earning reasonable coin. I had a company car and a few other things. But we thought, you know what? Why not? Let's just take a leap of faith and see what happens. So we sold everything we owned. Yep. Um, We packed up, we went to Hong Kong, we had no house to live in, we had no job to go to. um, So we ended up living with Connie's mum and family and extended family in a 700 square foot, not metre, square foot flat. There was about eight of us uh, to begin with. Um,
0: Uh, Language barrier? uh,
1: Look, in those days, um, in the central business area, which is where I spent most of my time, Given the fact that it was under British rule, pretty much everybody spoke English, oh, okay. Um, okay. so there wasn't an issue. Okay. However, where it became interesting was that because we were not on expat salaries, and and I was earning local salaries, our choice of housing could not be in where the expats live, in the expensive areas, so we ended up living right out near the Chinese border. Okay. So I was about an hour's train ride from town, I was actually one, one village short of the Chinese border. Right behind our village was a, a huge hill yeah. with a red flag on the top. On the other side of that was Shenzhen. Oh, wow. Um, and I was the only Guailo, the only Westerner in, in within uh, spitting distance. Um, Is it Guailo? Guailo. So, like, the
0: Italian Guido's
1: and... Well, I think that's actually, Guailo translates to white devil. Oh, OK,
0: you're the white devil, the and, only white devil it, in the it, okay. it's,
1: it's, it's actually a derogatory term but it's a derogatory term that's been so adopted by Westerners that we don't care. Okay, it's a you know, like it, term it,
0: of endearment.
1: Almost. Almost. You yeah, know, okay. it's it's just become a slang term for a Westerner. Yeah. But its its origins go back to the Opium Wars in in in, in the Boxer Days. So go yeah. go right back when it was actually meant as a derogatory term. But over the eons, um, it's just evolved itself into a descriptive for a white person in in Chinese culture. <laughs> Um,
0: Alright, so you've gone there, you've moved there, Um, what what did you decide to do for a job?
1: Well, when I first got there, um, I I ingratiated myself with the Australian community over there just to do some networking and and if anybody's wondering about the value of networking, this is a perfect uh, example of how networking does actually work. Um, So by going to a, a few of the functions put on by the Chamber of Commerce and other groups, I got to meet people fairly quickly, um, got talking to them, made sure that they were aware that I I didn't have work but was looking. And my first job that I landed was selling desk diaries. Right. So in those days, you know, we we, we used to have a diary that sat on the desk, a nice big diary, and my job was to, as sales manager, uh, of course I I fronted up to the interview and they said, have you got experience selling? Oh, absolutely, you know. (laughs) Um, i man. Are you a sales manager? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Um, but I sold myself on the job. So, um, Good way. But the idea we, we had then, you see, back in the 90s, um, companies used to give away a lot of gifts in Hong Kong. So every year you'd get gifts, all sorts of gifts. From, yeah, yeah. So, so the gift industry was huge. Right. And these diaries used to come with your logo of your company printed on the front and in the pages and a special box. We had our own printing factory up in China. Yeah. Um, my first year, this is Hong Kong dollars, but my first year I sold around about $11 million Hong Kong in diaries. That
0: sounds awesome. Now yeah, what's that converted?
1: Uh, about uh, that time it was about 7.8 to 1. So you divide that oh, by, okay. by seven point eight. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, or by by roughly eight. So if we were talking about eleven million dollars, yeah. um, that would be roughly divided by eight, about one point uh, three million Australian dollars. Oh wow! Uh, Good that's way. that's what the business was like up there, and then wow. uh, I moved to a. a a different company that did the same job but in in a sales directors role uh, and and lifted that sales up to about 15 million. Um, Companies like DHL, Economist, uh, Northwest Airlines, um, the Hong Kong Club, Coca-Cola, so they they were my my client list. Wow. From there I went to um, Star TV. Star TV is a satellite broadcaster. Uh, and it broadcasts right across the Asia-Pacific region. It has a number of channels, so sports channel, movie channels. Yeah. The one I worked for was called Star Plus. Okay. And Star Plus is a bit like 7, 9, 10, So it's a bit of everything. It's a, it's a generic sort of family. Gotcha. Um, my job there was uh, as, as director of um, promotions and activities. So yeah. um, I got to launch programs. Um, I, okay. I, I didn't actually have to make money. In fact, I was a cost center. I had a budget of $18 million to spend on promotional activity every year.
0: And that comes through the advertising?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't care where it comes from. Okay. I just I just got the money each year and yeah, I got go to, go spend to spend it. it so right, okay. <laughs> I'll let somebody right. else actually make it. <laughs> but yes, through advertising was, was its, its sole source of revenue. Yep. Uh, our footprint that I worked with touched 220 million households every day. Wow. So all across India, into Taiwan and into, the, into China was my daily footprint. Um, and my biggest coup there was I got to launch Beverly Hills 90210 in India. Um, so we spent a week advertising with little strip ads in the Delhi Times, just teaser ads of so-and-so's coming, so-and-so's coming, and then a giant size full-page ad yes. on the Sunday announcing the launch of 90210. I booked the entire ballroom of the Oberoi Hotel in Bombay, yeah. and turned it into an LA film set with palm trees and sand. Every journo got their own director's chair with their name on it. Oh, wow! And we did a live outside broadcast to Fox Studios and interviewed three of the stars. The actual of 90210. Yeah? Who, Do you remember who the
0: three stars were? Did oh, you know, the
1: I couldn't remember their names. Yeah, no, okay. It was um, uh, the young fellow who played the tough guy. Um,
0: yeah,
1: well, yep, yeah, I've forgotten him too. Uh, yeah. and, and Jason somebody. Yeah, okay. Um, and one of the girls. Um, but then we ran a competition um, for, for viewers yep. over a few weeks where they had to watch the program, and during the program we'd ask a question. Uh, and then they had to watch for, uh, you know, what colour was the motorbike or, or what was the name of the cafe they were sitting at. Yes. Um, and back then we didn't have email. So we we actually had to get them to send in letters. And I had some photographs, I think the company still got them, of my secretary diving into a mountain of letters that we'd emptied onto my office floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, With a big (laughs) sack. About 20 sacks. And we just emptied this massive mound of letters and she she deliberately dives into the middle and her legs are sort of sticking out of this mountain of... I found one and it was correct. And the young girl won... And she she and her friend flew business class to L.A., had a week in L.A., and then actually got to go on the set in the filming. Wow. Now, we couldn't ever promise that they wouldn't be ending up on the editing room floor, but in this case, they didn't. They were actually able to see themselves in the episode where they were sitting in a cafe, and the scene was that there was a bit of an argument between the stars down below, and they were told as extras to sort of look shocked. And uh, they're only on for a couple of seconds. That's fair. But that was enough.
0: Wow, that 10210
1: was huge. Look, in India, it's surprising the, the, the relevance of um, drama shows like that. We, we actually had to shift Bold and Beautiful to prime time viewing okay. because it was so popular. So we moved it from an afternoon show like that was the normal scheduling to actually prime time viewing at 7 o'clock at night so that families could get together in India and sit down and watch Bold and Beautiful. Oh,
0: wow okay
1: so the drama um shows yeah yeah popular. absolutely so after after that i i um, oh, wow. uh i had a rather unceremonious uh, uh departure from star tv they went they came through and did a uh, a fairly large culling of um okay. uh, of staff and uh so i was given a box and a security guard and told to thank you very much get out wow uh, okay thank oh, thanks for your time see <laughs> you later <laughs> it happens you know, and that's something that people should learn about life and jobs. Is yep. hey, um, you know, excuse the friends, but shit happens. Shit happens yeah, yeah, you know, you just you, you yep. suck it up and you move on yep. and get on with the next thing in life. Um, I love your attitude. You? you know, and and see what the next challenge is. Well, the next challenge actually came about yes. in a small job called Celebrate Australia. It was attached to the Chamber of Commerce, Australian Chamber of Commerce over there, which is um, a privately funded organisation, but does have good, solid relationships with the Australian Government being an external, yeah. so it's not Australian Government run or, or associated with, but it has relationships. Right. So they created a project uh, for me to run to basically sell Australia as a destination for food, for culture, for a few other things. So my job was to, to essentially put together a program and yeah. go out to shopping centres in places like Shatin out in the, the yeah. New Territories and have an Aboriginal dance crew or a, or a cheese uh, tasting or, or, you know, things that so were...
0: From, so from Hollywood <coughs> to sort of, sort of touristy stuff. Yeah, got
1: but you. the idea was it was was more than tourism. It was about selling Australia to people in Hong Kong that didn't even know where Australia was on a map. Yes, so let yes, alone yes, they didn't yes. have that concept of, oh, kangaroos and everything else. They just didn't know. Yeah, so yeah, it, was yeah, a, yeah. it was a great... That was the whole idea was let's not sell it as a touristy thing to, to normal travellers. Let's go to the real people on the street and see if we can't get them buying Australian cheese next time they go in and buy a, a bottle of wine or a bottle of cheese or, or meat. look for that Australian brand. Why? Because we've been out there pushing it and highlighting it. so I, I do that for a, for about six months, and um, during my time there the the, the um, CEO of the Australian chamber stepped down yeah. Yeah. Now, he wasn't a CEO. The title back then was Secretary General. Okay, was which it? Which is very British. Okay, okay. Yeah, and okay. the chairman called me into the office and said, um, do you want to have a go at the job? Now, again, this is one of those times where you look at it and you go, I am not qualified for this job. It is way out of my league. Yeah. I, I'm going to drown here. But this bloke's asked me if I want to have a go at it. So what the hell, why not?
0: Yeah, so have Richard Branson sort of quote: say yes... And, uh, worry out. about it later. Yeah, worry
1: about it later. Absolutely. So that's exactly what I did. I, I, said, uh, I, I said, yes, I, I'm quite happy to do that. Yes, I'm quite capable. So basically threw me in the deep end. Um, and the only thing I really had to do was come up with a strategic plan uh, okay. for the board, um, which in essence sounds absolutely fantastic unless you've never done one before. Oh, right. And you're <laughs> sitting there in your office going, what does a strategic plan look like and where do I start? Right. Thankfully, I had a really great board member at the time who could see I was struggling. Yeah, and we sat down and he, and he walked me through how to structure a, a simple strategic plan followed by a business plan. And, yeah, and these are things I've learned over years of management yeah. that, that become a lot easier now. Yeah, 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 but back yeah. then when you're first starting out, when it's your first real management job and, and you're looking at a blank piece of paper going... <laughs> Right, um, and of course, yeah. this is um, pre Google, pre pre. Uh, I yeah. mean, the internet back then was was dial up. Oh God! So you didn't, you didn't, you weren't able to just certainly go on and say, let's look at samples of other people's strategic plans. Oh, boy, you know, it didn't exist. But so anyway, I, I ended up keeping the job, and so I ran the Australian Chamber of Commerce for two years.
0: Good work.
1: And I guess my proudest moment in there was that I doubled the membership from seven hundred to fourteen hundred. And that was purely through a a Member Gets Member program. I I simply did a deal with Qantas and we put out a a, a little um, flyer that looked like an air ticket back in the old air ticket days. Um, And every month when you introduced a new member, you wrote their name on, ripped out a a tab from this air ticket, put it in the box, you had monthly prizes and then the member who introduced the most members throughout the year won the trip to Brisbane uh, business class and, and the accommodation package
0: right. it almost sounds like a like, sort of like the B, the business network international bni model but well this like the this one i
1: actually liberate no i well i can't say i'm the originator i liberated this one from american express yeah okay, okay. um and, and look you know this is one of the big things is is sometimes you come up with a great idea and it's your idea yeah other times it, it's it's somebody else's idea but you simply adapt it don't reinvent the wheel yeah, don't be afraid to say that's a fantastic idea now, how does it sh- how does it shape and fit my uh, my business? Definitely. You know, how can I make it fit my business? You know, if you want to give credit to somebody, give credit to them. But basically, don't be afraid to liberate other ideas yeah. as long as they work. Um, yeah, the other thing I, I did with the Chamber was reshape the um, the, the structure of the subcommittees. Okay. When I first started, I had about 18 subcommittees, and they were fairly dysfunctional. Sounds a lot. <laughs> um, I, I basically had to sit on every single one of them as Secretary, so my life, um, my, my days ended at 11 o'clock just about every night. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and all I did was basically say, well, what are the functional areas that we work in? So there was food and beverage, there was construction. Yeah. And I, I whittled it down to about six functional areas. And then we reshaped each of those subcommittees into those functional areas, and we boosted our participation rate from about 2% to over 10%. Wow. Because suddenly they were worthwhile. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, if people are looking at functionality... Go back to the basics. Go back and have a look at what your membership does or your group does or your clients do, right, and say, what is the core element here? What are the core elements if there's more than one? Um, And let's focus on those. Rather than trying to to be too creative and spread yourself too far and have, you know, too many things, sometimes simplistic is the right approach. Come back to the core elements and say, how do I serve those core elements best and then other things will grow from that organically rather than me trying to make them grow.
0: Gotcha. Some, I hope you're getting some, um, some gems from this, this uh, gentleman. Thank you.
1: That's all right. And then, yeah. of course, we yeah. left Hong Kong at the handover in 97. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, in hindsight, we probably didn't have to. Um, but the, the real problem, once the handover started, there was no information. Yeah, okay. um, people were not being told what was happening we heard rumours of you know, 10,000, 20,000 Chinese troops massed in Shenzhen waiting to come in and take control of Hong Kong yeah, yeah. we heard rumours of uh, even though you might have a foreign passport my wife was also a Hong Kong citizen so they were going to block travel um, oh, so wow. a, lot of, a yeah. lot of business people um, up and moved to Malaysia and Singapore um, okay. Now, again, as I said, in hindsight, it wasn't really necessary because none of those things came to fruition, and life just went on. Uh,
0: so, so speaking, uh, did you ever live in Singapore as
1: yes. well? Yes, I ran a television station in Singapore. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a company called uh, Vision for Television Network. Yes. It was actually based out of Malaysia. Um, an English guy in KL was running it, and it was hotel-based. Um, so... At that time, we worked off video recorders. All right? yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I e- think I remember them. Oh yeah, the we well, yeah, used yeah. to get the record on with the tape. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, VC, yeah, yeah. VHS. VC, yes. VHS. Now, <laughs> what we used to do is is we, by the time I left the company, we had eighty one hotels in in our network in in Singapore. Yeah. Each one of those hotels had four video machines, that were set onto a little computer, and we had two channels, and these tapes would run. Um, uh, and then the next tape would fire off and then the first tape would fire off and so forth. And just keep the recording That's correct. going. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so we would have on one, we would have a movie followed by a documentary and the other one we would have a documentary followed by a movie. Gotcha. And they would have advertising interspersed in them like we do on normal television. Very
0: clever.
1: And then we would have set B, so when set A ran... And, and did its full time, then set B would trigger off, and set A would rewind, and this would go on yes, yes. all day yes. um, on on a cycle, and then we would change the tapes over once a month. All right now, the thing is with hotel traffic, you've got people for one night or two nights, so you don't need to continually refresh your your product because you're refreshing your viewers. Okay. <coughs> and um, wow. in our Malaysian studios, we used to have. A bank of 140 video recorders and a master tape. So we would get the master tape from yeah. uh, Los Angeles from the movie studios, so we'd buy the rights to it and we'd get a master tape and we'd put that into the, the big master machine. Wow. We'd hit one button and 140 video recorders would start all at the same time and record uh, what was going on to it.
0: Wow, those days, huh? um,
1: And then we'd have drivers who would jump in their cars from Malaysia with big steel cases and do a round once a month to all the hotels, pick up the old tapes, bring, bring the new ones in, drop them off. Um,
0: and was, in Singapore, was it still, you know, um, clean back then? Oh, you know? yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: right. Yeah, okay. uh, look, it is, with, without doubt, it is the, one of the safest and nicest cities I've ever lived in. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam, my son, was, what do you about four or five, five years old, I think, four or five, because <coughs> he was just starting to go to school at the um, Australian International School.
0: And was the younger one, right? And he yeah. was the oldest. Oh, OK. Not really um, the
1: oldest. And, and, and it was actually probably good that we left Singapore when we did, because he was starting to speak with a Singaporean accent, eh? Ah. <laughs> La. Ah. And, uh, you know, because he was he, that, that was what he was growing up in. but. No, look, it it was a fantastic... We never had a car there. We hired a car sometimes on the weekends. We didn't need one. Yeah. And public transport that was just mind-blowingly brilliant. Still do. Yeah. Um, We lived just off Orchard Road, uh, had had an old flat, an old apartment in um, uh, Killiney, just off Killiney Street in St Thomas Walk.
0: Did they have the... Is it the monorail?
1: It's an underground. It's called the MRT. Okay. Um, Yeah. The one in Hong Kong's the MTR, and this one's called the MRT. But no, 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 no. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's an underground it's uh, train system. The whole thing. Look, yeah. and it's getting better and better. It's getting larger now, but it's always always been clean, yeah. tidy, on time. And If you miss it, the one comes bus in 10 system minutes. is just phenomenal. Um, a lot of double decker buses, and it, you get around everywhere you want. There was, but just walking around, it's it's a safe, safe, safe yeah. city. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I guess um, I was there for a little bit, and. Years ago now, and just
1: to see how advanced they are, you know, just the, the way everything goes on time, just, hmm. yeah, amazing. Highly bureaucratic though. That's I mean, right. we, yeah. we um, one of the, one of the things we faced was censor board mm-hmm. because we were running a TV station, yeah. even though it was in hotels, we had to run past the Singapore censor board. Okay, and we had a girl who sat in our office, so she didn't work for me, but she had an office in my office. Right, and she would watch every single movie that we wanted to put to air.
0: So it's like anti-cat for commercials. Really.
1: Oh, no, no, this the, no, this no, is, no, is even worse. No. This this basically, cool. she would go through the whole movie and then she'd come with a list of things we had to cut out. Oh. And then my job as the boss was then to negotiate on some of these to see whether I could get them in. Um, and one of the hardest ones I had was was a, a movie called Cat People, and, and some of your listeners may yeah. remember this. It was about people that were infected and they turned into these giant... Um, right. leopards and other things okay. yeah, it, was a, it was a pretty trashy movie Yeah, yeah. but the scene that she wanted to cut was, was a, a romantic scene
0: Okay.
1: and the whole premise of it was that the boyfriend was infected but she didn't know so they start to get romantic on the car bonnet uh, nothing naughty of as course. in rude just romantic and, and they were kissing and quite passionately and all of a sudden he becomes a, a, a cat and starts attacking her and she manages just to get away in time Now, she wanted to cut that whole section out because of the kissing. So what you would have ended up with is them walking down the road and then her running down the road screaming and nothing in between.
0: Wouldn't have made sense.
1: Exactly. And and this was the problem that I faced with the senses all the time was they were very, very puritanical, extremely puritanical. um, That, um, I kid you not, but if a kiss scene lasted more than about three seconds... Uh, it was to be deleted. Yeah, they get funny about. It. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Right. And and it's difficult. Even today, the, there are still largely censored bits. And you can go to the cinema and yeah. watch watch a movie, a like James Bond movie or whatever, and it'll seem to jump. Yeah. And you think, well that's odd. Yeah. Because the censors said, no, nope, chop that bit. Jeez. Oh,
0: there you go. And uh, and look, I know you're a fantastic speaker. Um, you're not scared to get in front of an audience and and do a talk or or whatever it may be. How did you did that just come along with all all these different things and practice and some, <coughs>
1: um, people, some people were, Yeah look I I I guess I've been gregarious from from a young kid uh okay. I I've, I've never been afraid of um putting myself out there Yeah yeah but crowds uh, and speaking it, yeah. It's more so um the training that I had in radio and DJing ah. um, Well I was going
0: to ask about that let's get let's talk about that right now that's right. One of that. Well that was It It
1: wasn't exactly my first job out of school, but it was pretty close to it. My first job was working for a company called O'Donnell Griffin down in in McMinn Street um, as as a storeman, a temporary storeman. And then I sold gold and silver bullion uh, out of the Star Village um, for a company that, uh, a guy that used to do stock trading, and my job was to sell the gold and silver bullion and diamonds. Um, Right. We used to import it from the Perth Mint and fly it up and then store it. In, in the mall and the bank. Okay. Um, and then I, I, I sort of fell into DJing. There was an ad in the newspaper of all things that you say you want to be a DJ. Um, I was actually, and, and, and I'll probably get people into trouble for this, but I was actually still underage when I was working in the nightclubs. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, yep. But I, I went and I did my audition yep. and and I got a call back and they said, yep, okay, we can work with you. And. Uh, you're pretty good at landing jobs. So from there, well, it, the, the thing is to get jobs, you've got to put yourself out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the jumping jumping ahead a little bit, but when I came back from Singapore, yes, um, I, I was out of work. Uh, tried a couple of Businesses myself, they yep. failed absolutely. Yes. You know, the, the right, wrong place, yep. right idea, wrong place, wrong time, sort yep. of thing. But hey, you got to give it a go. Absolutely. Um, I went on unemployment benefits for a while. Most embarrassing thing I've done in a long time, mm-hmm. um, and, and it really showed me the inadequacies with the unemployment system. It's a shocker. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: But I was sending out um, oh anything up to a couple of hundred CVs a month. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: See. You know, you you're have to ass, you
1: have to put yourself out there yep. for everything. Yeah. Um. You, you don't sit back and wait for the world to come to you. Uh, even if you think that you're fantastic, even if you've got a brilliant skill set, you've got to put yourself out there. And it's not just about networking and marketing. That's an important, integral part of it. It's about hard work.
0: Yeah, hard work, and don't be afraid to fail. From, from your message, yeah.
1: You know. But uh, yeah. So I ended up. Uh, I was for for quite some years. I was a DJ. At uh, the Beachcomber, at Fanny's, oh, at Dick's, okay. the Box. Yeah,
0: I don't remember um, Beachcomber's
1: myself. Yeah. Beachcomber's was the old Koala Hotel. The
0: corner.
1: Yeah, the up corner. on the corner of Mitchell and Daly yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah the corner. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was my favourite haunt. And yeah. there and Fanny's down in Edmund Street. Yeah, and yeah. we also did the Bougainvillea Room in Parap. And, uh, wow. Um, so we used to, that was seven days a week. My, yeah. my, my life started at four in the afternoon and ended at about five in the morning. Um yeah. and then oh the other one I did was Le Club Pepion, which is down in Mint Street, it's now zone three. Oh okay. Yep. And that used to be a private members' club. Oh did it? Um yes, it was
0: need one of them these days, but anyone.
1: It was it was fabulous. Um yeah. so I did that for a while and then I floated into radio and I was the midnight to dawn announcer on Radio eight DN, which is where um one oh four nine is now in um in uh Edmund Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> Or next to Uncle Sam's. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, and then, being radio, being the gypsy trade it is, I floated off to Toowoomba at Radio 4GR for a little while, and then down to Launceston where I was one of the uh, 70x Good Guys, okay, um, which is which was the branding at the time, right? Okay. So I did seven or midnight down there with a an audience that had the average age, I think, of about 12. Oh, God, it was it was hard work, you know. I'd like to send a love note to Sammy. Yeah, I love Sammy. Oh, oh Jesus, okay, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <There> <laughs> um, you go. Then uh, the entire staff at 7EX, the entire broadcasting staff, we all got the sack. Okay. Um, because 7HO and Hobart bought the Not station. Not the security
0: guard in a box telling you
1: to go? No, to no, 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 no. no. 7HO and Hobart bought the station and wanted to turn it into talk radio. And so they decided that none of us could do talk radio, so the entire broadcasting staff got the sack and they replaced it. So I floated across to Adelaide yep. and ended up doing what's called a, a floating shift. So uh, one night a week I was doing easy listening on 5AD, then I'd go and work at SAFM for another night, which was sort of young kids. Then I'd go and work at 5KA, which is Hot Rock, um, and I ended up landing a shift doing talk radio. So I, I got sacked for not being able to do talk radio and I landed a shift in a metropolitan market doing talk radio on 5AA. And then that translated into a breakfast shift for a year. So, um, I, and again, that was fortuitous. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. They that sacked their breakfast guy. Yep. Um, so the thing with radio is it, it's, it's, it's a tough gig yeah. because yeah. if your rating's are not good or they decide to change the format or whatever, thanks very much, out the door.
0: Yeah, absolutely, okay. So I did a year
1: in breakfast there and then uh, floated up to um, uh, Radio 97 on the Gold Coast uh, at Tweed Heads, Um, worked with Philip Brady and a a few of the other old names of radio up that way. the old names of radio, okay. And then ended up at 2CS in Coffs Harbour, which was my last radio gig. Sydney? No, Coffs Harbour, just north of Sydney, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. and, and so that was that was uh oh quite probably the best part of 10 years in in radio and dj well, there so. you go
0: see you notice his voice gentlemen ladies and gentlemen all right now that's what it takes to become a i think you know it really shows you know how, how talented you are right but I, I guess what made you then or how did it turn into the R-E-I-N-T CEO. How, how did you get in real estate? To, well, first of all, real estate right. and, and managing all these...
1: Um... Well, there's a step in between that because oh, okay. After, okay. after Singapore, um, I, I um, couldn't find work yeah. and, and eventually I did. Um, now, my wife insists it was because we put up one of those Chinese bagua mirrors, you know, the, the, the octagonal mirrors which um, the Chinese have for good luck. Now, I was not getting a job, yeah. and she insists that the north wind was blowing through my study. Right. So we put a Bagua mirror, yep. um, and I got a job interview two days later. So I, I oh. find it very hard to discredit <laughs> her, <laughs> yes, yes. Her, her views on this. Um, but uh, I managed to, to to cut a long story short. I yep. managed to pick up a job uh, as the regional manager, Asia-Pacific Regulatory Affairs, for a large satellite company called Pan AmSAT. Pan now, Am Sat. So, okay. Now, at the time, no no relationship to Pan Am, yeah, the airline, yeah, This yeah, was called yeah, okay. Pan Am Sat. Yeah. At that time, they were the largest satellite company in the world. They flew 24 birds, 24 satellites around the world. They carried Disney Channel, CNN, right. Um, right. most of the telephone networks globally. My job was to form relationships with regulators in Asia Pacific and yeah. open those markets up, which we were very successful. I opened up the markets in Thailand and Philippines yeah. to us, which... At that time, were closed. The biggest problem, of course, we had big competitors, so that I meant if I opened the market up, we had to be first to market because they yeah. would be very quickly yeah, yeah, in behind to, us. To, yeah. um, but I covered forty three countries around Asia Pacific, plus had to go back to the states to Washington and New York for uh, regular meetings at our head office in Greenwich, Connecticut, and our regulatory office in D.C. So I spent probably eighty percent of my time living on aeroplanes and yeah. out of the country. Um, which was fun to start with, but it becomes very, yeah. very exhausting. Yeah. So I did that for about three years. Um, then we, I moved to a, a company called New Sky Satellites, which was based out of The Hague um, in, in Netherlands, um, <laughs> and uh, worked out of this Sydney office doing pretty much the same sort of thing on a contract basis. Okay. And it was only a one-year contract for that for that job. Um, and that was coming to an end, and I thought, well, i better get a proper job, hadn't I? Um so a job came up in Darwin, being hometown, yeah. and, Um I thought, yeah, that looks good. Okay. It was director of Asian relations and trade. So it um, uh, well, started off as international trade. So I applied for the job, I got the job, so I came back at my very first job in government. Um, yeah. I, I was running the uh, Department of Asian relations and trade for NT government, which I did for about six years. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Six, six and a half years.
0: Mm. Without
1: going into no, without going into too much detail, there were some internal um, uh, sure. ructions that uh, um, apparently, if you actually yell at the boss in the hallway and call him a piece of excrement, um, yeah. Yeah. it limits your public service career. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so um, the the end result was that, uh, that that I was getting pushed to the. To, to, to roles that I didn't want to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and as it happens, this job came up in the newspaper. Okay. Uh, well, my, my what, predecessor, was the what was the job? Well, it was advertised as the Chief Executive Officer of the Real Estate Institute.
0: Oh, man, I don't even know how, how with your credentials, I don't know how anyone is ever going to replace you. can't well, just be a job in the paper. It can't was, it?
1: you know, what I looked at was when I looked at this job, I thought, well, okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's an association, a membership-based association. Okay. Right? Putting aside what the actual industry is, it's a membership-based association. Yeah, okay. And I figured if I could run a 1,400-member uh, Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong, Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I could run a real estate association in Darwin. How, <coughs> you many, know.
0: how many agents are there in the NT approximately? Uh, look, as I, as I,
1: on, on my current membership base, I send out to 577 people. Um, so it's a mixture of agents, agencies, principals, um, uh, conveyances and a few others. So uh, it's, it's, it's a big organisation in yeah. real terms. And it's.
0: 500 plus egos.
1: Ooh. Oh, look, <laughs> they're, they're manageable. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we have fun and... I've I'm now entering my 8th year in this role. Yeah, okay. Um yep. and still loving it and there's still so much work to do. There's yep. so many things that I want to do with it to take it to the next step. Um, you know, it, it really is about enjoying your work. And, and that's the biggest thing for me is that I have management skills. And yep. and and, yep. and I know I have management skills because I've I've done in, uh, you know business courses and I've got a a graduate certificate in law from ANU. So and you build these, oh, these courses that. up uh, yeah. o- over time, the, the skill sets over time. And for a lot of people, that should be transportable. That's the logic of it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is that the profession itself, the industry itself, should be somewhat irrelevant. Um, if you want to move from satellites to, to real estate to dairy farming, <coughs> you should be able at management level, at senior management level, to just simply transport those skills. Because underneath you, um, you should build a layer of fantastic people that are good at doing their jobs yeah. and perhaps they are the ones that come from the profession. And, and managers, senior managers, should never, ever, ever be afraid yep. of having people that are more talented and more skilled in certain areas than them. Oh, so if you, if you have a risk, I mean, if you're risk-averse and you don't want to have staff on there that might show you up or, or a bit, then you are going to fail. Yeah, exactly. What you need to do Probably. is to trust your staff that... Don't worry about your job. If you're good at your job, it's secure. Your board's going to keep you on. What you need to do is to make sure that your staff underneath you are absolutely the best that they can be, and you pay them well you treat them well and you, and you nurture their skill sets they yep. should be the ones that are driving the business. Your job is to simply drive the ship.
0: Yeah. See, and uh, I can I can vouch, you know, everyone that works with you here, the R&T is just is so happy. Um, you've you've got an incredible team.
1: Uh, look, funny they, that, and they are brilliant. I mean, they are brilliant. Every everyone that we've got here is is good at what they do. But that's that's part of the the the, the, the nurturing job of the CEO is mm-hmm. to make sure that they get what they need, yeah. and if it's Professional development, or it's time off, or it's uh, yeah. you know training in something, or it's um, you know a reward for a job well done. Then do it.
0: Yeah, look, and I'm I'm, I'm not trying to you know, get brownie points with you or anything like that. But I have spoken to every single one of these uh, lovely people out there, and uh, they've just they've got glowing things to say about it. Uh, Which is wonderful. Yeah, you know, no, they're not getting like, a pay rise. No, no, but they seriously. Look, I see. I see. <laughs> All right. All right, let's I'm just going to ask some questions. I've just got my phone ringing there, so I'll just hang up on that. There we go. All right, I'm just going to ask some fun questions. All right. All right. Um, uh, what is the craziest thing you've done in the Territory? One of the craziest things you've done in the Territory.
1: Oh, goodness me. Uh, there's so many, I don't know where to begin. Um, you, okay. I'll, I'll just say that Cap- fine. I interrupt
0: you and say that uh, this is my first, first podcast where I requested to iTunes... Uh, we're allowed to uh, use um, uh, language, so... <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll be
1: tempered in my language. Look, I, I think probably one of the most insane things that I can remember ever doing was um, back in my old DJing days, we used to have... A...
0: Excuse that, that's just... So sorry about that, we had the phone ring then, I answered it, so we've just had a little break, but... We're just getting into the fun questions. We're up to what's the craziest thing you've ever done in the territory, and you are allowed to swear.
1: Right, mate. <laughs> no. oh, look, the, 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 I guess the craziest thing that comes to mind is back in my DJing days. Yep. We used to have a fellow that that did a, a fantastic impersonation of Dame Edna Everage. Um, yeah, yeah, Dame Edna. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. The the, the chick. Yes, the magnolias yes, and the, the yes, 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 yes. Uh, and somehow. We got convinced to dress up as Edna Boppers, um, as, as sort of groupies, and go to the Darwin Cup. Oh. Wow. So I had to spend the entire day in high-heeled shoes, dressed up as an Edna Bopper. Um, those
0: social media those
1: days. And, and yes, thank God there wasn't. <laughs> 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 but uh, yes, that was a that was a rather insane day. Uh, um, all right. Good work.
0: Uh, no, that's good. And I know you have got to go soon, so we'll hurry this up. Um, all right, ready. Yes. What's well, the first thing that pops into your mind when I say real estate?
1: Uh, fun. Good
0: work. Yes or no, have you ever killed a crocodile? Uh,
1: no, but my dad has. Good work.
0: Have you ever lived in a donga? Yes. You're a true territorial, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know what the term long means? Yes. Have you ever heard of the Punciana Lady?
1: Oh, yes. Of course, and yes, in,
0: in, in, in very short, what's your quick version of it? Very quick.
1: The Poinciana lady. Yeah,
0: because you know, some people have said she she lives out in uh, the end of uh, East Point. Nycliffe, yeah. Oh, N- you on Nycliffe. So you Nycliffe, Nycliffe
1: like. East Point, somewhere around there. Nobody really knows. Yeah,
0: um, and our version was in our day that uh, she was raped by a, a whole bunch of uh, army personnel, if you like, and she came back haunting them That was our
1: version. Uh, well, uh, there's, there's numerous stories, but yes, oh. she was a ghost that, um, yeah. that liked to wreak, wreak havoc and uh, um, would, would often appear when you were down having uh, some quiet time with your lady friend uh, <laughs> uh, in that area.
0: <laughs> have you ever eaten a green ant's bum? Yes, now, horrible, horrible, really bitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Uh, do you at least have two dogs?
1: Uh, no, I've got one.
0: Oh, then that's okay, halfway there. Have you ever tried a salty plum?
1: Oh, I love salty plum. Yeah, oh, way, my mouth way. just waters even thinking about good them.
0: Way, good word, good word. And we still get them at the Asian Emporium,
1: can't you? Yes, and you can actually hire them on. You can buy them online from saltyplum.com.au, I believe. Oh,
0: well, clever gentleman or lady, whoever that is. Have you ever caught a
1: feral pig? Uh, yes, yes. shop yeah. uh, shop feral pigs. Uh, used to shoot them out at uh, Fog Dam. Oh yeah, uh, right, we'd, yeah, we'd go out there and uh, yeah. sit on the top of. Um, 4 drives and when the feral pigs would come out to to eat we'd turn the spotlights on and
0: do your thing good work now i normally ask my guests have you ever been in the nt news but in your case i'm going to say <laughs> uh, how many times a year do you think you've been put in the nt news on average
1: look uh, I, i'd hate to count but it seems to be of recent times at least once or twice a week
0: yeah absolutely right. is uh, is your beer fridge bigger than your main fridge
1: uh, I have a beer fridge that is the same size as the main fridge out the back.
0: Oh, good doing. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, have you ever chucked a sickie to go fishing? No. So he loves his job. Have you but, ever he used... but he hates
1: fishing. Sorry? He hates fishing. So. <laughs> ever used gammon in a sentence? Oh, you must be gammon. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Come on. I grew up the territory. <laughs> um, last question. Yes. You
0: think it's perfectly acceptable for a man to marry his buffalo, and uh, yes, yeah, so do you think it's perfectly acceptable for a man to marry, marry his buffalo, and would you go to the wedding?
1: Uh, only if the buffalo was cute, because if it's an ugly <laughs> buffalo, then there's absolutely no no reason that you'd marry it, but you know, if it's a good-looking buffalo, good-looking um, yeah, absolutely, no problem.
0: I must say that's the best answer I've had so far. Mr Quinton Killian. Thank you so much for your time today. Really, Mr. Kafkas, it. it's been a
1: pleasure. Yeah,
0: a lot of insight, and I knew this would be a an interesting interview. And and to my listeners, I really hope you actually listen to what is some of the things he says. And there will come a time where, he, you know, he'll have to pass the role on or stand down or whatever it is. And we, I, I really, I'm talking from the heart here. I hope we find someone like you.
1: Thank you very much, Peter.
0: No, thank you. Thank you so much. Now we will we'll move on to our next part of the um show which is the donkey of the week which i haven't done uh that in a little while so donkey of the week is uh, giving someone the credit they deserve for being stupid for the week in the past i've given it to nt news i've given it to um uh that uh, detective that was involved with uh, one of those things anyway i've forgotten now but uh, yeah keep an eye out for our donkey of the week coming up soon thanks guys Okay, so Donkey of the Week for this week, which we are in September, the 23rd today that we're shooting this podcast, is uh, earlier in the week there was a report about uh, a group of vigilantes taking on Darwin thieves. Um, they say they're doing it because police and the courts aren't doing enough. It comes as one of our top cops defended the police response. That was the, um, the news story from Nine News Darwin. So I would like to particularly put out um, donkey on the week to our magistrates the courts uh, for being so soft on them i think the police do a fantastic job and we have, i think we've said that before on this podcast but in particularly the magistrates the courts you need to harden up stop being so soft people are getting sick of it these vigilante groups are starting to pop up here and there they're trying to stop the criminal themselves you're not backing up the police so for this uh, september the 23rd give the biggest hee-haw to the courts and the magistrates of darwin <coughs> thank you so much everyone for listening a bit of a longer episode um, certainly some gems were dropped by Quentin killian and i thank him again for his time and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of keeping up with Cuckers. over
1: and out thank you very much